Today we are going to be continuing our series, DNA. Who are we as a church? Before we do that, uh, I know we just prayed. I'm going to pray again because we can never pray too much in here, right? So uh, let's pray together. Uh, Pray with me that God would speak to us through his word this morning. Uh, So pray along with me this morning. God, thank you so much for uh, all that you've done for us. God, thank you for allowing us the opportunity to celebrate baptism, to celebrate new life found in you. God, thank you for being our living hope. The one thing that we can rely on, God, our firm foundation that's never going to fail. God, help us to lean into you this morning. Uh, Help us to just put ourselves to the side, God, and uh, God, let the uh, the spotlight just be on you this morning. We thank you for all that you do. Amen. All right, so this last week, I had the opportunity to attend the Passion Conference in Atlanta with some amazing college students and leaders. And Passion is something we attend every year, and even though I'm expecting it, and I know what it's going to be like when I get in the room there, there's something supernatural and otherworldly about the moment when you look around and see thousands and thousands and thousands of like-minded believers all around you all coming together for the praise and for the fame and for the renown of one name. I have a quick video clip where you can watch. That's what it looks like to be surrounded by 20,000 people all lifting up the name of Jesus together. It is an otherworldly thing to be a part of. So last week, I stood in this sea of believers thinking, I bet this is just the smallest little fraction of what heaven will feel like. But there's something so special that happens when we, uh, under the name of Jesus, people gather. When we gather all unified under one name. There's something special about when Christians gather together to open up God's word to open up our mouths to praise Him, right? When you get a lot of candles together, it intensifies the light. A thousand tiny flames make an overwhelming fire. It's a blessing for us to be able to meet in so many ways. We can meet online because some people cannot be present in the building or watching afterwards because you have to work. But nothing beats gathering together as the people of God whether that's here in the sanctuary or in our life groups. We were made to live in community, and this is why we gather. It says in Genesis 2.18, all the way back at the beginning, it is not good that man should be alone. So all the way back in the beginning, sin wasn't even the first thing that God called not good. Isolation was. Being alone, God said it is not good for us to be alone. So God set the standard way back in the second chapter of Genesis that we're made to live in community. There's a reason you find when you walk in a Hobby Lobby, 50 different variations of the sign that says, gather, right? Every single sign in a Hobby Lobby, gather, except for a few others that say, live, laugh, love, or something like that. Those are in there as well. But we know that gathering is special. But for most of us, we aren't intentional about it. We aren't habitual about it, and we aren't willing to make sacrifices to gather. But there's something special when we gather together that we cannot replicate or get anywhere else. 
It says in Matthew 18, 20, For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Back in the Old Testament, the place where heaven met earth was the temple, but after Jesus came, he dwells in us and among us. Jesus shows us by example the importance of gathering together as the people of God. And Jesus did it often. He modeled it for us. And God, as the Trinity, he lives in constant communion. See, before God, uh, before creation of the world, God was existing eternally in this beautiful community with himself. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All dwelling in beautiful, perfect harmony and community together. So you are made in that God's image, so you were not made to walk this life alone. The things that we do, worship, community, mission, loving God, loving people, going and making disciples, these are things that we do together, and we gather to do those things. Wolves are very fascinating creatures. Go watch a nature documentary. I love those things. Wolves are fascinating creatures. They can be really vicious and terrifying, but they exist in a close-knit community. And there are times during the less harsh months that you might see a wolf traveling alone, but when the winter comes, the wolves stick together. Someone once said, when the snows fall and the white winds blow, the lone wolf dies, but the pack survives. You weren't meant to face the winter alone either. See, we all have summer seasons in our lives when things feel happy and we, uh, times when our problems might feel a little bit more insignificant and those small bumps in the road seem manageable alone. But you cannot afford to be a lone wolf in the long run. You can't do it because we all have winter seasons as well when we need a pack of our own to tackle the bigger things in life a pack to share our grief with, to celebrate joy, a pack to lend a helping hand when we face unexpected trials, a pack to do life with, gathered together. This is why God created the people known as the church, because it's not good for us to be alone. But many times we neglect to build those relationships in that community when things are going well. So then when our marriage is falling apart, or our kids sick, or we lose our job, we have no one to rally around us because we didn't value the pack when solitude seemed enough. Other times we want people to be there for us when the winter comes, but we have no intention of being there for them when their winter comes. You might say, well, you know, I don't feel connected. Who are you connecting with? Who are you making an effort to uh, rally alongside and connect with? This is a place where we gather, where we come to serve each other, not just to be served. You want to make a friend? Be the friend that you need. Be the friend, be the grace, the love, the compassion to others that you want as well. You're surrounded by people that want to care for you that want to uh, bear your burdens with you, people that have Jesus in common that probably are a little bit lonely themselves. Look around the room. There are people in this room who feel so desperately lonely. Talk to each other. Seriously, it's simple. Talk to each other. 
eat with each other, go walk your dogs together, drop off a cake for somebody, ask them how they're doing, right? The world has set itself up today to struggle with real, authentic relationship building, but the church cannot afford to miss this. We think we can make it on our own, but we can't. See, anxiety and depression and suicidal thoughts, they're all at an all-time high because people feel hopeless and people feel alone. Reach out to somebody with the love of Christ. See how it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. We gather because we need to help each other to refresh, to refocus, to remotivate. We come together to make it about God and about others. We worship him and serve each other together. But it doesn't stop with what we do here on Sunday morning. We have to build a culture in this church where it's happening throughout the week. Having people in our homes, putting people on your schedule and on your calendar. That's how the church is supposed to work. See, hospitality and welcoming people into your homes. We can't miss these things. See, a smile and a wave across the pews on Sunday morning won't cut it. We need real commitment to real community. When confusion and hard times come into our lives, they can devastate our faith in God if we don't have a pack. If we don't have our pack, we try to do it alone. Max Lucado says what might be one of the most profound quotes I've read in a long time. He says, questions can make hermits out of us, driving us into hiding. Yet, the cave has no answers. Christ distributes courage through community. He dissipates doubts through fellowship. He never deposits all knowledge in one person, but distributes pieces of the jigsaw puzzle to many. When you interlock your understanding with mine and we share our discoveries, when we mix and mingle and confess and pray, that's when Christ speaks. We are meant to fill in each other's blanks. When we share, we strengthen each other. Paul wrote in Galatians 6 2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Are you hurting? I'm hurting too. You celebrate, I'm going to celebrate with you. We're going to do life together because we are the pack. We gather together with our hurts, with our celebrations, with our struggles and our trials, and we do it together as a family. Because you're in my pack and I'm in yours. You're hurting, I'm going to hurt right alongside you. That's what the pack does. We're meant to live in a community. And gathering as believers is so important. We cannot miss this. See, so many people feel as though the local church is not for them. Right? You've probably heard somebody say that before. It might be due to a disappointment or church hurt in the past. And those things are very real. But the church is made up of flawed people. And sometimes learning to coexist and rely on our brothers and sisters in Christ even with all of our inadequacies and failures and shortcomings, it helps us to shape into his image. We need to show people the reason it's worth another shot. And how do we do that? The Bible says we can show them why we are followers of Jesus by our love for each other. 
by the way that we love our people, the way that we rally around the pack and gather in love. So why do we gather on Sunday? And why do we do some of the things that we do when we gather at church? So in the Old Testament, they gathered on Saturday, which was their Sabbath. So why don't we still do that? Some of you guys are like, I'm not giving up my Saturday too. But why don't we still do that? See, following the resurrection, the church recognized Sunday as the new Sabbath. The day that Christ rose from the grave was the new Lord's Day. It's an act of remembrance. And can you meet at another time? Sure, absolutely. People in different contexts in cultures around the world may find another day to work best, and that's fine. Uh, Acts 20, verse 7 says, On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to, to depart on the next day. And pre- he prolonged his speech until midnight. You guys okay with us preaching until midnight from now on? I'm not going to make you lie in here. Don't do it. <laughs> in this verse, we see them meeting on the first day of the week. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 16 as well, on the first day of the week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. So we see them meeting on Sunday and even taking up an offering. See, we gather on Sunday to celebrate the resurrection every single week. Show of hands if you love being here on Easter Sunday, right? We love it. And we celebrate the resurrection, but that's the goal every week. Every Sunday is Easter Sunday. Every day we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, that we have a living hope and that we can celebrate a risen Savior. So some of the things we do in church, though, why do we sing? Why do we sing when we gather? Some of you guys are like, we don't sing at my meetings at work. I'm going to be honest, we don't sing in our staff meetings either. Might need to bring that in. Scott can lead us in uh, singing on Tuesdays. You say, we don't sing in our meetings at work, so why here? I mean, this isn't karaoke, right? You might be thinking, if anyone heard my voice, they wouldn't want me to sing. But the Bible encourages us to sing together. Ephesians 5.19 says, Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. Jesus himself gives us the example to sing even when we're going through the hardest times of our lives. See, Jesus led his disciples in a song right before he went to the Mount of Olives to pray the night before his crucifixion in Matthew 26, 30. Then we saw Paul and Silas singing in prison. See, Christians have sung from the beginning. In AD 12, the Roman official, this person who was not a Christian, Pliny the Younger, he wrote to Emperor Trajan, Trajan sorry, about Christians. But here's what he wrote. This is a non-Christian official. He said they were in the habit of meeting on a certain fixed day before it was light, when they sang in alternate verses a hymn to Christ as to a God, and bound themselves by a solemn oath, not to any wicked deeds, but never to commit any fraud, theft, or adultery, never to falsify their word, nor deny a trust when they should be called upon to deliver it up, after which it was their custom to separate, and then reassemble to partake of food, but food of an ordinary and innocent kind. See, we sing because the Bible tells us to. 
And the early church did it. John Wesley called it sung theology. See, we don't meet here and sing the top 40, right? This isn't entertainment. It's not a show. Andy and Lisa and Tori and the whole worship band, they're not getting up here to deliver a performance, right? That's not what it's about. We have worship leaders at this church that choose theologically sound songs that will preach a message to our hearts. We need to be thankful for that. Somebody may say, but singing is emotional, and I'm just not really an emotional person. We all are emotional beings. The Bible itself is emotional literature filled with emotional expression and designed not just to communicate with our heads and our rationality, but also to stir us emotionally. God wants to engage all of you. God says to love him with all of our heart, our soul, and mind. See, the heart and soul are the seat of our emotions. I mean, it's crazy. Some people could go sing the national anthem and country roads at a WVU game, but they're afraid for somebody in the pew in front of them to hear them sing the name of Jesus. That doesn't make sense. That's not just a, a you know, message of guilt to you. Seriously, it's a time for reflection. If what God has done for you does not stir you and compel you to praise him, you might need to ask some questions and investigate why. On the flip side, we don't ignore our minds either. See, God wants to engage our hearts and our minds. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 15, I will sing praise with my spirit, and I will sing with my mind also. John 4, 24 says, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Singing is you preaching theological messages to your heart and to those around you. It engages your heart and your mind to worship God. One of my favorite examples of singing to God, uh, recently, uh, Phil and Scott and myself, we have the privilege of meeting with Pastor Mike Hopkins on a regular basis. Uh, some of you know Mike. Mike is kind of a hero of ours. Uh, but we were talking the other day, and he's, he pours into some younger pastors and, and walks us through some things. But he asked a bunch of us at this table, he said, how many of you sing to God? Like, I mean, yeah, like, you know, worship on Sunday morning, and I got the radio on in my car and things like that. But as we went on talking, he, we learned that Mike, just in his car, no radio on, just sings his prayers and, and his words and, and what he's thinking. He sings to God. No song that's been written. He's writing his own music. Right? He might be embarrassed if you go up and ask him about some of his songs or anything like that. So don't do that. But seriously, just this, this moment of worship, no pre-recorded lyrics, just I'm singing from my heart to God because he's worthy of my song and he's worthy of my praise. See, the singing at our gatherings is not for entertainment. It's for your participation. The worship band leads us to worship. We let this sung theology right, focus our minds and affect our hearts. There's something supernatural about hearing your voice blend with others. Right, This last week at Passion, I can't even hear my voice because it's mixing in with this just tidal wave of praise and worship to God. So what about the sermon and the message? Why do we do this when we gather? Why do we preach? 
See, a sermon is where we realize our part in God's story. It's when we figure out where we fit in. It's not just talking about what we believe. It's letting what we believe in the Word of God change our lives. Our goal at the end of any sermon to ask the question is, how does God's truth of God's Word, how does it affect me? How does it change me? See, God's Word is very important. God created everything with His Word. Right? Jesus calmed the sea with His Word. Fevers were cooled. Demons were cast out. The blind received sight. The dead were raised. And sins were forgiven through God's Word. God's Word is so important. John 1 describes Jesus as the Word. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So we have this thing called a sermon that takes up half of the worship service because we are opening the Bible applying it to our hearts, asking God's word to change us. The goal for preaching is to make you leave in worship and applying God's word to your life, becoming more like Jesus. Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 through 17, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This book called the Bible was breathed out by God, and it can change your life. It can change your life. That's why we take time in our gatherings to circle around this word. This is the center of our focus, and we open this and we apply it to our hearts. See, how dare we treat this book like a coffee table ornament rather than the air that our lungs need to breathe and the water that quenches the deepest thirsts in our soul. We need the Bible to convict us, to realign us to God. We love gathering together and we, uh, we hear the preaching of God's word, but hopefully you're opening God's word privately and asking it to change you. And hopefully you're meeting in a small group of other believers around this word. And the last thing we do when we gather together, we leave space for praying together. We leave space for prayer. See, God's people have been praying together since the beginning. Another goal during this response time is for you to pray together and to pray for each other. We believe that praying together as a church is important. And again, we see the importance of prayer together on the Mount of Olives the night before Jesus was to be crucified. He asked the disciples to pray with him. Praying together is not always dignified looking. It isn't comfortable. See, it's hard to stay proud when you're on your knees praying with your spouse, begging God to intervene in your life. Acts 1.14 says all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. See, Acts is full of occurrences of the early church gathering together to pray. Gathering together for prayer. Some people like to use the altar at the front of a church to ask for prayer. Other people feel comfortable kneeling at their seat or standing or sitting and bowing your heads. 
See, prayer shouldn't be rigid and cold, and it shouldn't always be done alone. It is good for us to have that prayer time, that silent time at our homes, maybe in that quiet, secret place that you have. But we need to bear each other's burdens in prayer together, gathered together. So we gather together on Sunday to celebrate the resurrection, to sing God's praises together, to study God's word, to respond to it. And we gather together to pray together. Acts 2, verse 46 through 47. It says, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. You were not meant to face the winter alone. Don't do it alone. Gather together. Find your pack. Let's do life together as we gather. Gathering is so important. We cannot miss this. It's in our DNA.